0: I think one of the most significant differences today in contrast to a lot of what I've seen historically in my career is that I think payers, providers, uh, consumers, you know, are all benefiting from, you know, a really increased alignment with regard to what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you've hit the nail on the head. There still remains a a very significant chasm and frankly, a disconnect between these parties in terms of, you know, fundamental connectivity and effective uh, communication.
1: All right, before I jump into the interview today, I want to kind of play a little game with you and see if this actually works. Uh, i been thinking about this little story I have in my head, but let's say you're sitting with me in a room and we're running a little experiment and we have two prospects come in the room for you to basically pitch your health program to. And if you can sell one of them, I'm going to give you a million dollars on the spot. This is a handshake deal, but you believe me. Um, and let me tell you about these two people that have come come in today and you're going to get to pick one of them you can only choose one of them to pitch your program to first guy he came in early filled out his intake form so I got a lot of info on him his name's Jim he lives in the suburb of Detroit where his house is on a cul-de-sac it's approximately 4 miles to the nearest grocery store he's a a Christian, a Caucasian. He's 45 years old, upper middle class. He is a registered Republican. He has high blood pressure, and he's pre-diabetic. He has a wife, three kids. He makes $65,000 a year, uh, works for a local utility company. He watches mostly Fox News on television and football, and he spends a lot of his extra time and money on fishing and hunting gear. So I've got great info on Jim that's the, the first option you have. Now the second guy, he came in a little late, so he didn't fill out his intake form at all. I really know nothing about him, but you know, when he came in the door, I just, you know, had had time to just ask him how he was doing. Um, he said, well, I just played around a, a golf with my wife, you know, golf is really my favorite thing to do. I love it so much. And, I really, really feel free when I'm out there on the course. But for the first time ever today, I could barely make it through nine holes. I'm really worried about it. I mean, I'm not sure what I'd have without my weekly round of golf with my wife. I've got to figure out what's going on here. So that's the conversation we had. And then I came in the room with you. So that's all I've got. The guy that filled out the entire intake form, and I've got all the demographic and and different types of data on that you would typically have. This is marketing gold. And I've got this guy that I asked how he was feeling, and he told me about it. So for a million dollars, you have to choose one of these guys to pitch to. Who would you choose? Well, I think you'd choose the second guy because from his answer to me asking him how he was doing, you've got a potential reason why he wants to engage in a health program and make a change in his health and his life. And you can appeal to that reason when you, when you talk to him about your program, why it would be valuable to him. Now we don't really think about prospects and, and patient outreach and how we engage people in programs that way right now, unfortunately. But I think that's, a great example of why we should be thinking that way. Now, I, I talked to Dan Hemke in the interview today, and he talks about this great chasm between the healthcare consumer and the healthcare provider. This is a gap that desperately needs to be bridged, and that bridge from patient outreach to you know, the ideal sustained program engagement and positive outcomes needs to be crossed. But what I want to get across today is that it'll be crossed by, you know, humans saying relatable things to other people, people having empathy and having conversations and engaging with people, not AIs and, you know, demographic data points and social determinants. Health is about people, change is personal our motivations, our reasons why are individual to each of us. That's the point I want to get across today. The one and only Dan Hemke on the line. Dan, how's it going over there? Terrific, Phil. Good morning. So, Dan, what we wanted to talk about today is you sent me last night this list of your top 11 reasons why patient engagement efforts fail. And I wanted to go through that, but before we get started, part of why I love having you on, Dan, is we get to talk sometimes about big picture kind of transformations in, in healthcare and, and what's driving those transformations. But today we get to, to frame up a really big, important problem from a high level when you kind of were noodling this list and, you know, what you're really trying to frame from a big picture perspective. um, What is really the problem that you're trying to grasp here?
0: Yeah, so, you know, I think obviously we all know that there's a lot of change going on in in healthcare and it's true essentially across all of the the segments, whether we're talking about, you know, the commercial markets, um, employer sponsored plans or um, individual market you know, and certainly all of the markets that are regulated by CMS, whether it be Medicare or Medicaid and the various segments thereof. And, you know, the reasons, of course, continue to be a lot of the same fundamental reasons, which is the imperative to, you know, control healthcare costs and and manage population health. But there's, there are some things that are fundamentally different about what's, I think, driving this change. And these key drivers, you know, certainly are the migration, you know, from volume to value-based payment and incentive and provider arrangements. Again, whether, you know, we're talking about formalized value-based health or simply, you know, creating a system where providers, you know, um, have skin in the game and are appropriately incented to drive the right kind of outcomes. Um, you know, the, the other aspect I think that we've kind of lost a little bit of, of touch with is the fact that, you know, the, the march for healthcare consumerism is continuing. You know, mm-hmm. it's not simply about high deductible health plans and uh, health savings accounts. It's around shifting more responsibility, accountability for consumers, you know, some of which they are welping, welcoming with open arms, uh, others of which, you know, they're kind of grudgingly complying. But Then I, I would say the last thing that really is <clears throat> is kind of binding these things together is really the advancement in health management, informatics, and all of the terrific things that uh, are being done at the patient and member level as it relates to Mm -hmm. clinical and and health management initiatives. Um, Mm -hmm. From a base health perspective, as you know, and we've talked a lot about this. One of the things that is becoming glaringly apparent as we look at the application of all the great things that they're doing is that um, analytics in the absence of being able to implement them effectively is of limited value. And the the same is Mm -hmm. true great, you know, programmatic initiatives out there as well.
1: These advancements are exciting but also frustrating for that exact reason, right? You know, you you guys, you mentioned uh the work you do at Base Health is extremely valuable in terms of identifying who we need to connect with, who we need to reach out to, but we still have that just massive chasm, right, between kind of consumers and the stakeholders who need to connect with them in order to bring them in the door for X, Y, and Z, right? And that's kind of where we're focusing today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, if you look at, at um, I think one of the most significant differences today in contrast to a lot of what I've seen historically in my career is that I think payers, providers, uh, consumers, you know, are all benefiting from, you know, a really increased alignment with regard to what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've hit the nail on the head. There still remains a, a a very significant chasm and frankly, a disconnect between these parties in terms of. You know fundamental connectivity and effective
1: uh, communication. So the big question becomes why does outreach to engagement that that bridge continue to fail? Um, so that I guess transitions us nicely into this top 10 list you sent over. so I want to dive right into those if that's okay with you and just go one by one, and we'll go quickly so we can get you out of here in a decent amount of time, okay, Dan. Absolutely. All right. So the first one you sent over, solution fragmentation. So what did you mean by solution fragmentation?
0: Well, as as we mentioned, you know, um, if you take a look at kind of the the key elements of a lot of what see, people see today is the as the you know solution components or the solution chains, so to speak, um, uh, required to effectively you know control costs and. Uh, manage population health, you know, I would look at the concepts around the analytics. I would look at putting those analytics into play with regard to Mm -hmm. either the, you know, the payer or provider initiatives themselves or the intermediaries that that they are relying upon to take those analytics and the members or patients that are being targeted and actually connect with them and then ultimately drive their participation and sustained involvement in the clinical and program initiatives that are needed. So the problem is, is all of those things exist today, but they're all very siloed. And if you kind of think of the concept of a chain, so to speak, and think about each one of these components as a link in the chain, um, the unfortunate reality is they're just not linked together um, in an integrated fashion.
1: Yeah, and we've actually seen this problem firsthand with our evolution at Nudge, Um, you know, starting first in the kind of engagement, sustainability, program sustainability, area with our, uh, with our health engagement platform, and now we're ha- feeling both, you know, compelled by the market and the need out there and just interested because of the way our kind of solutions evolved anyway to move back into the outreach phase of things, and, and I think we'll get into that more as we go through this list, but I wanted to just mention that that's something that's being felt by us directly right now. Number two, misplaced conf- confidence in technology solutions. Uh, that's an interesting one. As a technology company, let's talk about that.
0: Well, you know, I think probably the the area that everybody would agree is that um, if we take a look at things like wearables and helpables and consumer apps, I, I don't think there's any dispute that all of those things hold great promise for capturing key data and passing that data back in a way that it can be organized and potentially used more appropriately, not only by the consumer themselves, but potentially the people that they're relying upon to coach them and, and, and guide them. Um, But the problem is, is, as we've seen, is that reliance on this technology alone isn't particularly effectual. Um, And a big reason for that, of course, is the fact that we see, you know, low adoption and utilization rates and even where utilization is high it's typically high among those portions of the population that frankly don't need to be engaged because they're already engaged. So I think there's this misplaced confidence um, in not only that kind of technology, but also in, you know, technology around electronic medical records and electronic health records and health information exchanges, um, all of which again, in and of themselves um, hold great promise, but only if that information can be made accessible to the people that need it um, so that they can act upon
1: it. A good way to look at them is really all, all enabling technologies, um, but not solutions in and of themselves. Um, so what, something you said there actually transitioned us nicely into your third point, which is not focusing on the right people, um, which you mentioned a little bit that th- some people are already engaged. So who are the right people?
0: Well, it's, a, <clears throat> it's a, it's another important topic. And, This isn't to say, by the way, that we're looking to leave anyone behind. I think what it really is suggesting is that certainly, as we look at you know different types of clinical and health management um, program efforts, the tendency is we're we're casting our nets too broadly. Um, So, as an example, those people that are already engaged, our goal really is to make sure to continue to support them and and keep you know, keep them engaged, keep them involved. But for many of the people we're talking about, they're, they're really not engaged at all. And the question is, is, um, you know, if you take a look at, at kind of the, the two groups of people, one are, you know, and I think about this from a payer perspective in terms of the experience I, I come from in the health plan insurance industry, you know, we've always been pretty good at focusing in that on that top 5% of the people that really represent the greatest liability and cost and the fact of the matter is there is that the standard of care, the standard of um, uh, case management, care coordination, and that sort of thing that's being done is generally speaking very good. There's not a lot more than you, that you could do, um, but that said, it doesn't mean that there isn't some kind of different approaches that need to be made there from an outreach and engagement perspective, but the real key here is better understanding the rising risk within populations, because if you look over a 12 month period, it's not that 5% that you start with today. In fact, only about 1% of those people continue to represent liability um, and opportunity for um, clinical or interventional effectiveness. The other 4% actually are coming from people that are low to moderate risk today and are rapidly Mm. high risk categories. So the real key that we're talking about here is where do we apply our scarce resources in the most appropriate manner to get the best outcomes as well as the best return on investment.
1: There's a huge efficiency implication on that as well. Um, You know, focusing on um, first those people who are ready to engage in these types of programs and then developing strategies to nurture along those who aren't quite ready yet as well. Um, So that's that's a great one and one we could probably do a whole episode on, Dan. But focusing on engagement before outreach. Why is that important?
0: Well, you know, it's one of the things that's become glaringly apparent to me over the last couple of years, particularly, again, as I've been so actively involved um, in applying, you know, predictive analytics, is that if you take a look at the engagement rates, you know, within the industry, and this is true on the payer side, it's true within health systems that are bearing downside risk, um, they're they're very, very um, uh, uh, sobering, to say the least. The um, mm. vast majority of people uh, that are... Uh, you know, targeted for engagement are unable to reach. Uh, it, it predominates essentially. You know, the, the 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 entire landscape. And then, in addition to that, of those that do, you know, are um, reached in one way, shape, or form, um, there's a high degree of, of de- declination in terms of of participation. Um, so the question I bring up is that it's hard to focus on engagement when you're ineffectual to begin with in reaching out to these people and connecting with them in the first place and capturing their attention. There's again, a lot of different reasons for this, which we'll talk more about, but um, it's, it's a very simple thing and that is you can't put the cart before the horse and um, you can't confuse engagement with outreach. Uh, Outreach is a very separate and distinctive um, step, you know, within the process.
1: And speaking of that distinctive step, the next uh, reason that we have on this list is limited contact information.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it, again, you know, it's it's funny at times, I think we, we get a little bit too far over our skis in terms of focusing in on, you know, really strategic types of global things that we're trying to accomplish without making sure that, you know, the tactical things um, and requirements are in place. And this is a really good example of it. You know, again, I come from the health insurance industry, where, you know, aside from kind of fundamental PHI issues in general, the fact of the matter is we don't have very good contact information. Um, I would say, historically, we've usually had a mailing address because you got to send people out, you know, their, their insurance card or their membership card. Um, And you are going to have some kind of telephone number. Um, Now, I would say increasingly, that's becoming, you know, the cell phone number. But even then, you know, a lot of that information is inaccurate. And at best, you know, we have one or both of those things, but have limited um, success in leveraging them um, and using them properly. Because again, we, aren't connecting with these people and getting their guidance in terms of, you know, what's the contact information they want us to use and what's the best, you know, way of connecting with them.
1: Yeah. And that presents a huge challenge across the board. I mean, as a, you know, marketer working at a strategic level that having the accurate contact information is just so vital and developing, frankly, strategies on the front end to, to make sure we can access and gain new contact information uh, should be it a significant part of the early stage strategy and the outreach to engagement uh, chain. But moving on to the next one, application of the wrong resources with the wrong skills. Can you into that a little bit?
0: Yeah. You know, again, um, if you take a look at, at kind of population health management in general, um, I would say most organizations are getting more savvy that you don't want to take your highest level resources and apply them to, you know, fundamental outreach and engagement. What I mean by that are clinicians, whether it be Mm. doctors or nurses and that sort of thing. But at the same time, you generally are relying upon different levels of people from a health specialty perspective. And again, whether they're being used as care managers or navigators. And ultimately at the end of the day, these still are generally people that are trained in in healthcare um, kinds of things of one sort or another. And if you really think about it, using those kinds of resources for fundamental outreach and engagement isn't a particularly good use of their um, capabilities and their skill set mm-hmm. in many respects. I mean, I think if you really think about, um, again, the, the kinds of things we're trying to do here, which is to successfully reach out to people, engage them, and then get them into a setting where you can start to, you know, leverage some of these great healthcare resources. Um, the fact of the matter is you really are looking at people that need skills that are that near, you know, more of what you might see in a telesales function.
1: That that makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting. Um, And, you know, we've been thinking about this problem quite a bit. And, you know, it's a big part of the kind of team based training that we do and within our kind of nudge solutions from outreach to engagement. Um, Just because Remote engagement is such a fundamentally different way to work with someone than sitting knee to knee or focusing on those more clinical factors that these people are trained to um, to focus on. So that's a that is a big problem indeed. Um, moving on to the next one, it's a pretty simple one and a pretty clear one, I think. One way communication. Yeah, I mean it.
0: It is it is simple, but again it's one of those things that's kind of obvious and yet uh, all too frequently i don't think we realize that you know most of the communication that we're making um, even if we do have good contact information is kind of outbound one-way communication where we're sending something out by mail we're reaching out to them by telephone and even when we're connecting with them we're really not connecting with them in the context of you know and i think used the example earlier is doing things like assessing their readiness to engage If they are ready to engage then you know how do you move them or advance them through the process as it relates to the programs and that sort of thing Um, we're really not having you know kind of bilateral you know communication Um, what we're really doing is informing people of things um, waiting for their response and if they decline then that's fine if they accept that that's fine then we might tee up the next step. But it really isn't something thats is, um, involves two-way communication, and it usually isn't something that is sustained on a going-forward basis. And we'll talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about that, but the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter whether somebody is declining or somebody is accepting. We want to be able to take this opportunity to create you know, some kind of ongoing dialogue to either, you know, as an example, nurture those people out of their complacency or if they are accepting, really drive them not just to enroll or participate, but to ultimately adhere and comply with the clinical and programmatic things that, you know, their physicians and health managers might be trying to do.
1: Yeah, we have to take advantage of those opportunities to create kind of an engagement environment and engage the word engagement. I think a fundamental principle of that, if we're defining it, is that there's reciprocity there, at least the opportunity for reciprocity. Uh, So that that communication should be enabled to go both ways for sure. Um, Next up, measuring the wrong performance indicators. This is a big one for sure. I like this one.
0: Well, it it kind of gets back to, you know, what we talked about earlier in terms of wrong resources with, you know, not not necessarily the right skills. And and it has the same thing to do with what we're tracking. Um, Again, as I take a look at, you know, uh, just a broad array of organizations out there that are, you know, tracking, you know, some kind of performance from an outreach to engagement perspective. The fact of the matter is they're really tracking tasks um, mm-hmm. and they're tracking whether somebody has been called and if they've been called, they can check it off a box. If that person has answered the phone uh, and declined to participate, they can check that off the box. If they've accepted, then they check that off the box. And, you know, it continues to go through more of a, uh, a task checklist approach to uh, measuring um, effectiveness and uh, process uh, performance than it does actually looking at the the outcome or the the fundamental end in game objectives that we're trying to achieve here. And that is getting people engaged, helping them to assume more of the responsibility and accountability that's being foisted upon them and help them really to optimize their health status, regardless of, of what that currently is. And that really is what we should be um, measuring more of. Uh, but to do that, we got to measure people's kind of advancement through, you know, a standardized kind of process discipline as opposed to, again, just checking tasks off a list.
1: Yeah, that's so important and such a great place to start for people is to start thinking about those key performance indicators through the lens of kind of sustained engagement and the outcomes that they're desiring. So yeah, <laughs> I, I love that one. So big. Um, next one we have here is the one size fits all approach. Let's talk about that one.
0: Well, <clears throat> Again, it's, it's kind of classic, and I think we're seeing it more and more in other industries that have migrated uh, much earlier towards consumerism models. Um, you know, you look at, at Starbucks as an example. I, always, I use that as an example often because it amazes me that, you know, if you go back 10 or 15 years ago, it's hard to believe people would spend, you know, $5 on their way into work um, and not only order something that they get for a buck or two over at McDonald's, but actually learn a whole new language in the process (laughs) reflects is, is that really is consumerism at its best. I mean, you're appealing to the kind of experience people want, they're making their own decisions in terms of how they're spending their money and some people clearly are going to dunkin donuts or mcdonald's some people are going to starbucks but the real issue here is, is that from a healthcare perspective we're late to the game in terms of consumerism and so most of the things we continue to do tend to be kind of a, a one size fits all or one shoe fits all kind of, of, of approach and it's certainly true again with kind of you know outreach and engagement and a lot of population health initiatives we tend to think because somebody's in a Medicare Advantage plan that all Medicare Advantage members are the same. Or if they're a member of a plan-sponsored plan from, you know, uh, General Electric, that all these employees are the same. I think you know better than I because being an expert in digital marketing, the fact of the matter is all these people are different. And they have different needs. They have different personal preferences and motivations. And it's not static. I mean, it's a very dynamic environment that not only um, uh, is different from person to person, but it changes over time. And, you know, you use this example of readiness, um, you know, assessing readiness to, to engage. That's a good example of that. Somebody who may not be ready today may be very ready tomorrow um, because either they have the time, they have the motivation, um, or, you know, some other kind of incentive, you know, for engaging at that point.
1: Yeah, I think as just from my kind of digital marketing marketing perspective, I'm seeing some really dangerous trends in the way that kind of healthcare industry people and teams are deploying the idea of personas and kind of losing track of the idea that those are persons behind those personas, individuals with unique desires, aspirations, needs, um, and really speaking far too broadly to far too large populations um, based on, you know, simple demographics and stuff like that. So that gets kind of at the heart of of my background. So I have to add something to that every time, but that's a, that's a great one to to be thinking about. And it transitions nicely into the idea of your next bullet point, which is the idea that both outreach and engagement require behavioral and motivational science.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I had a discussion with a, a chief medical officer within a major health system not too long ago. And she was commenting that, you know, we got to get the behavioralists involved. Well, in talking about that more in terms of what she, she meant, um, it really aligned a lot of with many of the things I know you, that uh, Nudge is pioneering. And that is, again, at the end of the day, um, you have to apply the kind of behavioral and motivational science um, that is important to the particular individual. Um, And use that um, kind of science based upon assessing where people currently are at and determining the most effective way, um, whether it be mode of communication or messaging of communication or whatever else, to really, you know, drive action. So, again, whether it's readiness to engage or it's engagement and action, you know, that you're driving, um, you know, people into – you, you've got to be looking for ways to do that. And the, the, the other thing I would comment on that it is that is that, again, it's not just a one-way transaction. It isn't just a matter of, you know, how do we apply uh, behavioral and motivational science as it relates to patients or members. It's also how we further train coaches um, that are working with these people. And, again, whether they're clinicians or, or health managers of one sort or another, help to train them to apply these types of capabilities to be more effective with the people that are entrusted to them.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. There's a lot of room to apply some some more refined approaches that are going to be much more effective. And and the first step in that, I think, is taking a step back and looking at everything as a a workflow and a funnel where um, there are more steps and more opportunities for improvement in each step because you can learn so much about these people as you Mm -hmm. put them through this process. Uh, But all right, Dan, we're on to our last one. Total patient or member engagement is the end game. What can you tell us about that?
0: Well, again, you know, and we talked a little bit about this in the context of you know what are the metrics um, that are kind of be measured today, which typically tend to be um, task oriented. But if you if you look kind of to the categorization of um, how members are uh, uh, labeled, so to speak, as outreach and engagement initiatives are are practiced, um, they're usually categorized as unable to reach or declining to participate, or participating. And if you think about it, the focus then generally has been on, okay, we got these people that have agreed to be engaged, and that's the group that we're focused in on. And yet, if you look at it, it tends to be the smallest group of the people that you're actually targeting for these initiatives. There's also probably an argument to be made that while it's important to engage with those people, you're probably leaving behind significant portions of the population, and maybe even portions of that population. In other words, leaving major portions of the right people behind that you're not connecting with. So the question there really is, is for those that are, that are um, engaged or getting engaged and participating, that's great. Absolutely drive the process. But the question is, is, why are we leaving behind the, the decliners and the people unable to reach? The reality is that if we really are focused in on what our end game should be, We should be just as focused on determining the most effective ways to, in fact, reach those people that are unable to reach, as well as determine what do we need to do to nurture those people declining so that they actually will, you know, participate in the initiatives uh, that will help them.
1: And I think this transitions nicely into kind of a discussion that we will have in more detail next time we get together, Dan, on what the solution really looks like, but from the point that you just talked about there. I think one of the more important overriding principles is that it has to be a dynamic solution, right? That has kind of pathways for more of these people who are getting left behind by these programs to, um, move throughout kind of the process and prepare themselves to get ready to engage themselves, um, and be included in this process when they are ready to engage. So, um, I think that is a kind of a great point to end on. Is there anything else that we want to leave everybody with as far as kind of teeing up our next conversation about what the solution looks like, given these major problems that we've talked about today?
0: Yeah, I I would say the first is that, you know, it's like any problem. I think you got to understand it in order to be able to, you know, solve for it. And I think all these problems are, are significant, but they're not insurmountable. Um, I think understanding them and acknowledging them and realizing um, them, uh, the impact that they're having in terms of uh, uh, you know our, our inability to be as successful as we want to be is important. But I, I really think there's kind of three elements that we need to be focused in on in acknowledgement of these issues. One is that you know outreach is inter- is an integral inter- incremental step towards um, engagement uh, effectiveness, and it starts really with outreach. Um, I would say the second is that it really is, if you almost think about um, outreach and engagement, it really is about building an outreach to engagement bridge. And to be able to do that, we need to um, break down these silos and create integrated solutions that really include digital marketing, the behavioral and motivational science we're talking about, uh, asynchronous communication, as well as coaching workflow um, platforms that really are tracking and measuring the right stuff. And then I would say the last thing is, is making sure that that we're really measuring all of the things that we need to be measuring as it relates to, you know, focusing not just on those people that are are agreeing to or accepting to engage, but total population so that we're measuring, you know, both the nurturing and engagement performance, uh, uh, effectiveness of what we're doing. And that includes everything from the volume of people we're talking to or reaching out to our progression rates, how much time it's taking to connect with them, program participation, as well as ultimately, you know, their adherence and involvement in health improvement initiatives.
1: Absolutely. Well, Dan, I couldn't have said it much better myself. I know that was fast paced. You just talked a lot. So I'm going to let you take a breath um and we will take a few days before we record the next conversation that we're going to have which is deep diving on that solution that we just outlined right there so Dan really appreciate your time today thanks Bill it was my pleasure